Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Colon cancer, you might have seen in the news, the rates of colon cancer in younger people are increasing. And that means that the ages for screening have actually gone down starting at age 45. It used to start at age 50 for the average risk person, and now it's down to age 45. Have you done your colon screening? Well, the whole goal in doing the screening is to prevent the diagnosis of colorectal cancer. If you catch it early, the chances of a cure or taking care of that cancer with a minimal amount of surgery is much greater than if you catch it when it has become advanced. And today we're going to be talking with Dr. Rebecca Sawai. She has almost a decade and a half of practice in the field of colorectal surgery, and she is currently at Kaiser Permanente. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Rebecca. Thanks, Kathy. It's great to be here. Colon cancer, I got to tell you, it scares me. There have been people in my family with colon cancer. What exactly is it, and why should I be worried? Yeah, that's... um it is a really common type of cancer. It's a tumor that starts usually in the lining of the colon and uh, gradually um, grows thicker and deeper through the colon wall. Um, and it uh, is probably, uh, I, uh, I would say it's the third most common cancer um, behind lung cancer and then maybe breast and prostate cancer respectively for uh, men and women or women and men, I should say. Um, and uh, it is, as you were saying, a kind of cancer that if we catch it early, it's really treatable. Um, and there are still treatment op- options if we catch it later, but, but it's something that's much better if we, we catch it when it's in its earlier stages. Absolutely. The treatment is easier for the patient, for, for you, for the surgeon, and it just it, it makes the outcomes a lot better. So we do know that we are seeing people at younger ages get diagnosed with this. The primary way in which people get diagnosed if they have symptoms would be to see their provider, discuss their symptoms, and potentially do further testing. When we talk about people who have no symptoms, which happens quite often, what sort of tests do we do to try and detect colon cancer on a preventative basis? Yeah, uh, there are a range of tests that can be done. Probably the most well-known is a colonoscopy, um, which is a a procedure where a doctor, um, uh, usually a gastroenterologist or uh, sometimes a surgeon, um, is able to place a camera on a thin, flexible tube um, and check the entire lining of the large intestine, so starting um, at the very end, the rectum, and going back to the beginning um, the right side of the colon. Um, but there are other tests, too, besides the colonoscopy. Um, there are stool-based tests, either looking for blood or for um, DNA, uh, uh, colon cancer DNA in, in the stool, and those are um, increasingly being used, I think, um, for screening as, as well. And the key with those is that if you are at average risk and if you are at a higher risk, you probably want to do the full colonoscopy. I totally agree. Yep. So an average risk person would be somebody who doesn't have any personal history of colon cancer or colon polyps, somebody who doesn't have any um, relatives, um, like blood-related relatives who um, have uh, 
colorectal cancer or colorectal uh, polyps in their history. Oh, yeah, you're right. So average risk, you could look at some of the stool-based studies. Higher risk, you you just got to do the full colonoscopy. And I have to say, for all the patients who I have had complete the test, it's not the test. The test itself, they're fine with because usually you get a little bit of of anesthesia of some type or sedation so that you don't know what's happening. It's the prep. The prep can be difficult, but it's something that's really helpful. The more clean your colon is, the greater the likelihood that if there's something there, it will be found. If you have a lot of extra stuff in the colon, it's going to be harder to visualize and see things. Is that right? That's absolutely right. Yep. So let's talk about colon cancer itself. You're a surgeon, so by the time someone sees you, they may have already received the diagnosis. There's different stages of colon cancer. Can you tell us what those stages are? Because, again, earlier detection makes it easier for treatment. So let's go through the stages. What would be an early stage? Right. So an early stage is cancer that's contained to the bowel wall, basically. Um, it hasn't spread beyond um, where it started in, in the colon. Um, and stage one would be a tumor that's on the thinner side. It hasn't grown very thick or deeply into the bowel wall. And stage two would be it's where it's grown um, completely through the, the colon wall, but hasn't spread to other places. Um, and then... Um, Beyond that, um, there uh, like a more advanced uh, or stage three type colon cancer would be um, where it's moved to lymph nodes that are nearby, um, and then stage four would be if the the cancer has spread to other organs like the liver or the lungs. So, if you have a stage one colon cancer, what would be the treatment for that? Uh, usually, removal of the tumor um, for. Most cases, um, we would recommend removing a segment of the intestine, especially if it's in the the colon. We recommend removing a a piece so that we are sure that we've gotten all of the tumor out and that we look at the lymph nodes nearby to know for for certain that it's a stage one um, tumor. But yes, usually surgery or removal. Um, Very rarely, um, there are some cancers that are found within the polyp um, that can be completely removed at colonoscopy, so you might not even need to have a full surgery, and those would be considered stage one as well. So it's either in the polyp and you remove it, and the margins are clear and you're good, or there's a surgery that might take place taking out a segment of your colon. And you can live without that segment. I mean, you, you do this surgery regularly, so if it's a small segment of colon that you have to remove you can put the other two ends together and somebody can still have regular bowel function at that point, right? Yes, yes. So I think um, a lot of my patients, they worry when I tell them we need to take a part of their colon out that we're going to make a a bag or a type of a stoma, either a colostomy or an ileostomy or something. Um, But that's fortunately actually pretty rare. Most of the time we, we reconnect things and and is that well, surgery, yeah. sure, is that done through a big incision or there's a type of surgery that some people do called laparoscopic. And is the type of colon resection you're talking about for early stage colon cancer something that can be done laparoscopically? Um, yes, quite often it can be. Uh, still, I think, um, done where um, sometimes patients will have a an op- what's called open surgery where they have a bigger incision, but I think... Um, 
uh, as time goes on, uh, more and more of these types of surgeries are being done laparoscopically, so camera and small incisions. And you and I know what that means, but not everybody else might know what that means. If we were to describe a laparoscope, you, a laparoscope, you said sort of a small incision, and you know sometimes it goes through kind of the belly button area, right? Right, yes. And usually for colon surgeries, um, we might make several small incisions. So um, there's usually one by the belly button and then some, several um, other places on the abdomen. And we usually have to make one that's a, a little bit on the bigger side, maybe an inch or two in size, uh, in order to be able to remove that piece of intestine. So, yeah, it's not incisionless surgery. I wish it could be, but, but I think um, overall people heal a little bit faster and feel like getting back to normal life a little bit quick, uh, faster if we can do it with the small incisions. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Rebecca Sawai from Kaiser Permanente about colon cancer. And if you happen to have a cancer that's spread a little bit further than a stage one or an early stage two, what are the other types of procedures that might need to be done to help to treat that and keep you living a long and healthy life as much as possible? We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today I have Dr. Rebecca Sawai on the line. She's from Kaiser Permanente. She's been in the practice of colorectal surgery for almost 15 years and has some great expertise in how to handle situations where someone is diagnosed with colon cancer, whether it be early stage or in some cases later stages. And right before the break, we were talking about some of the contained cancers, the earlier stage, whether it be a stage one, which might actually even be in a polyp, or whether it have advanced to maybe a stage two, where we need to take out a portion of the colon. And that can be a minimally invasive surgery for people who are concerned. It could be done through what we call a laparoscopic approach. In some cases, there might be small incisions, but certainly not a huge, big surgery like we might have seen maybe 20, 30 years ago. Now, Dr. Sawai, how often do you see people who unfortunately have been diagnosed at a level of stage three? They might still be eligible for a surgery. And in that case, is that is that a common stage that you see? Or are you seeing individuals who luckily have their cancer diagnosed at earlier stages? Yeah, um, those are great questions. Um, uh, typically, it's, it's about a a quarter or 25% of patients will be stage three at the time of their diagnosis. Maybe um, 25% will be stage one, about 25% stage two, and the other 25% will be unfortunately stage four. Um, but yes, yeah, so if they are in a, a stage three, that's something that we really um, confirm uh, for sure at the time of surgery when we take out the piece of intestine as well as the lymph nodes that are nearby and then the pathologist, um, we send um, what we remove at surgery to our pathologists and they look at um, the specimen under the microscope, you know, they look at all kinds of characteristics of what we've sent them, and they can look for the lymph nodes, which are usually too small to be um, really well recognized or to, to know anything about them with the naked eye. 
So although you may take them out, that still requires a little bit further of an evaluation, which is why, you know, immediately at the time of surgery, there may not be a way to say, hey, we've we've got it all, because there may be some lymph nodes that you discover when they do a pathology review or when they look at them under the microscope. That's exactly right. Now, in some situations, people may have cancer that is a stage four, and in that type of situation, they may not be able to have a surgery because it may not be able to help them if it's spread to multiple areas of the body. Is that true? That's right. Um, that's that's generally true. Um, usually, if it is spread to other organs, the the growth of the tumor in those other organs, and, and usually, to be honest, it's the liver. Um, a majority of the time, if colorectal cancer is going to go to a different organ, it'll, it'll go to the liver. Um, but if it has done that, then usually the thing that we want to do first is to try to control uh, or kill off any cancer cells that are um, kind of uh, too small to be seen on imaging, and we want to shrink whatever may be in the liver. Because um, if there's too much tumor within the liver, that is going to um, harm the liver's function and could potentially um, be the thing that um, leads to a patient's death, unfortunately. So um, the first order of business, um, if patients are going to undergo treatment, um, is usually to start chemotherapy to see what kind of response um, we can get uh, in terms of killing off or shrinking um, the cancer um, as kind of the first step. And then there may be an option for other types of treatment, surgical treatments or other um, types of interventions um, that can be done to try to try to treat uh, the both the cancer where it started and or the the cancer where it is spread to, so any metastases that we see. So where does radiation come in play? Most of the time, radiation is going to be used for rectal cancer. Um, I think we can sometimes use um, radiation for colon cancer when it's spread to other locations, for instance, in the lung or things like that. Sometimes we'll use um, a radiation to treat those uh, that, that spread of the, the cancer, those metastases. Um, but for most colorectal cancers, um, it, conventionally it'll be used um, if we've identified that the tumor is in the, in the pelvis. And the reason why we, we do that, or in the rectum, I should say, um, in the pelvis, we can't be as aggressive with surgery, taking out all kinds of tissues, um, just because there are things that are more important for um, our normal body functions that we don't want to... Um, injure or remove. Um, so we use uh, radiation to try to help treat any cells that would be outside kind of the normal bounds of surgery that, that are um, a little bit more difficult to remove without hurting something like nerves or other organs like the ureters or blood vessels to the legs or so on. Um, so radiation gets used in that setting. Now you differentiated a little bit between colon cancer and rectal cancer. And I know from the surgical perspective, it could be in a totally different location. Is there a general consensus that you would treat those two potentially differently based on the circumstances? Yes. Um, for, uh, or we, we take more steps um, if we've figured out that the tumor is in the rectum. Um, under the microscope, a colon cancer and a rectal cancer look the same. They both come from the lining of the, the intestine, and, and those cells are the same. But 
because um, of the anatomy that's around the rectum, um, you know, there are other things like the bladder or prostate or um, uterus and uh, the, those, those kinds of things that we um, don't want to injure or um, uh, uh, you, they they have the potential to be involved in the tumor. We have to kind of assess how how advanced the the rectal tumor may be, and um, use that to guide whether we need to be more aggressive. Um, since there are other things in the area that we can't remove with surgery, there are other treatments like radiation and like chemotherapy that we sometimes use um, uh, before we do surgery in order to help make sure that when we do the surgery, we can um, have the least impact on those other organs as possible. So from what you've said, just to summarize, the actual cells under the microscope are cancer cells from both places. But because of where rectal cancer could be and all the other associated tissues around it, that's why we have to treat it differently because there's other stuff there that we kind of need and will help us mobility-wise with, with nerves and, and blood vessels, et cetera. So that's why it takes a little bit of a different approach. That's right. Okay. You summed it up so well. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I guess so. When we think about colon cancer in general, part of what we want to do, as you mentioned, is catch it early, do the screening testing, and find a way that we can catch it in those earlier stages. You mentioned sometimes it can be just in a polyp. You remove the polyp and, and that's it. Now, if, if it's a little bit larger than that, you remove a part of the colon. Again, if it started to grow into those lymph nodes or actually... If it grows out of the bowel and the lymph nodes are trying to trying to drain that area, then that would make it a stage three. And if it's gone elsewhere, it would be considered a stage four. And not all of those would have surgical options, but a lot of them would. So when you do some of the surgeries for colon cancer, you mentioned that sometimes people are a little afraid that they would not be able to have the colon reconnected. There are certain circumstances where that can't take place. And so you do have to create a different way for someone to be able to remove their to move their bowels, in which case it would be something called a colostomy. What exactly is that? Yeah, a colostomy is where we bring um, the end of the colon up through the abdominal wall and um, sew it to the skin. Um, and then um, when it's time for people to have a bowel movement, it just moves through the colon and then into a, a specially designed um, a bag, or, or sometimes we call it a stoma appliance, um, that sticks onto the skin and captures um, the waste uh, as it's passed. So it is something that you may not be able to have regular bowel function, but there is still a way that you would be able to get rid of waste for your body. And there are there are thousands of people who have, who have unfortunately had something diagnosed that results in them needing a colostomy, but but they can survive and live happy lives and do well with a colostomy. Absolutely. I think people with a colostomy can do just about anything that people without a colostomy can do. So, um, yeah, I, I have patients who hike, who swim, surf, who, you know, it, it does take some adaptations and it's um, maybe not um, as as easier, uh, kind of the, the exact same process as it is without a colostomy, but it's definitely doable. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Rebecca Sawai from Kaiser Permanente about what are some of the other aspects of colorectal surgery that we want to discuss to help people to realize 
you know, you want to get screened, but if you do get diagnosed, it doesn't have to be as scary as it may seem. There's no reason to let fear keep us from making sure that we do our preventative screening and get treated for a diagnosis if we get one. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Rebecca Sawai on the line, and she's from Kaiser Permanente, and we're talking about colorectal cancer and colon surgery. And right before the break, we were discussing a little bit about the different types of surgery that can take place. And, you know, I'm curious, because Dr. Sawai, right now, we're doing surgery sometimes minimally invasively, sometimes laparoscopically. Do you see a role for robotic surgery in doing these types of procedures? Are we at that point yet? Oh, that's a great question. And the answer is yes. Um, I think uh, personally I find the most advantage when um, we're doing surgery in the last part of either a part called the sigmoid colon or uh, around the rectum. I think that um, using the robot to do those operations is is uh, very um, helpful, um, and it really helps patients in terms of minimizing incisions and I think maybe a little bit faster recovery times, although I, I should say patients recover well um, from uh, robotic, laparoscopic, or open surgeries. I think in the grand scheme of things, it's it's not a huge difference in terms of recovery time, but but I do think it's it's a little bit better um, for those um, left-sided uh, tumors to to use the robot. Um, there are definitely surgeons who are using the robot to uh, you do um, surgeries on all parts of the colon, and it's definitely possible. Although I think the the advantages are maybe not as um, obvious. I, I think the it's more equivalent if you did it robotically or in a more conventionally laparoscopic way when you're addressing um, like a right-sided colon cancer or one in the transverse or um, descending colon. Do you think that beyond robotic surgery, what would you like to see in the future for treatment for colorectal surgery? Is there some other advancement that other than no one getting colon cancer or rectal cancer, which would be Absolutely fabulous. But in the absence of that happening, where do you see the surgical future going for these types of procedures? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I do think that as as uh, we get better with um, robotic surgery, uh, I, I do think it's going to become something that's more um, uh, common, uh, treating all types of, of cancers, probably all, all throughout the abdomen. Um, but I, I actually think some of the most exciting developments are going to come through medications that hopefully we'll be able to use to treat colorectal cancer and, and in a sense, maybe put me out of business in, in terms of doing, doing surgery for colorectal cancer. Um, there are some really exciting immunotherapies that are um, available for some patients. Um, and I know there was um, a lot of excitement in the fall. There was a 
uh, rectal cancer trial published. Um, it was a very small study, but um, patients with rectal cancer who had a specific type of rectal cancer um, were able to respond very well to um, receiving um, a type of medication and immunotherapy and had um, complete what's called a complete re- response or the, the tumor totally melted away. Um, so I'm hopeful that um, with time, we're going to find more of those types of, of treatments for, for all colorectal cancers. You know, I have to say, about 15 years ago or so, I remember going to a conference and listening to an oncologist talk about the future of cancer care. And one of the things that the oncologist mentioned was that cancer care was going to turn into tumor genetics, and it was going to turn into testing a tumor for its response to different types of chemotherapy rather than just testing the patient. And that's exactly where we've seen the field go. You mentioned that there are some new immunotherapies. And in fact, that's the genetic type of therapies that we were hearing about. And at that time, it was like, oh, no, I can't imagine that would ever happen. And I was one of the doubters. And yet here we are. And we're talking about even you as a surgeon saying, someday I might be put out of business because we'll come up with a treatment that is a medication and can actually take care of tumors when they're found and not require surgery. And I think it's incredible that we can even have this discussion and know that this is actually happening right now in the treatment of colorectal cancer. They're doing that initial trial that I think had about 12 patients. They're now expanding that. And the medication has been approved for people who have cancer that comes back, which sometimes you can have a recurrence and that can potentially put somebody in the need to have treatment again. Speaking of recurrence, if you do get diagnosed with an early cancer, do you do you have a greater risk of getting diagnosed with cancer again? Do you ever have it come? I mean, we know that it sometimes comes back. Does one of the risk factors include having had it before? Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, I think, fortunately, for stage one, um, the risk of it coming back is 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 really pretty low, um, but it's, it's an increased risk compared to somebody who never had colorectal cancer. Um, for stage two, that risk is even a little bit higher, such that we usually do kind of more um, intensive things to check to see if it's coming back, um, blood tests and CAT scans regularly, and, and of course, um, uh, follow-up colonoscopies on a, a, a some prescribed schedule. It, it, the, the interval between follow-up colonoscopies can range a little bit, um, kind of depending on what, what they see at the subsequent colonoscopies. But um, yeah, you're right. There, there are things that we need to do to, to follow up and make sure that if you've had colorectal cancer, that it doesn't come back. And there are some other cancers that do increase your risk. I mean, Colon cancer is one type, but there's sort of families of cancers. So that if you if you have family members who all have a certain type of cancer, then sometimes there's some genetic factors that put you at a higher risk as well. Is that right? Oh yeah, that's a great question. And yes, um, I think um, probably one of the most common um, cancer syndromes um, is called hereditary non-polyposis colon cancer. And there's a grouping of um, different cancers that can kind of travel together. So endometrial cancer, um, gastric cancer, pancreas, thyroid, um, urinary, uh, it's called urothelial um, cancers. Those can all um, share an increased risk of colorectal cancer. 
Um, so it, increasingly, I think um, it's good for patients who are diagnosed with colorectal cancer to consider um, speaking with a genetics counselor to see if there may be uh, or if they may be at risk for having a gene that that could put them at risk for developing these other types of cancer or their family members if, if they're found to have it. Well, you've certainly educated us a lot about colorectal cancer, the different stages, what are some of the treatment options and genetics, which, you know, again, 15 years ago, we might not have thought, but here we are living it, what was foreseen many years ago. I want to thank you, Dr. Rebecca Sawai from Kaiser Permanente, for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. And we'll see you right here next week when we talk more about ways to stay healthy and what to do if we get a diagnosis and we're not. That's right here Monday on The Body Show. We'll see you then.